Hello, and welcome to the Workplace Justice Podcast. This podcast helps to inform and empower you about your rights within the workplace. We cover topics and examples of various matters in employment law, including sexual harassment, pregnancy discrimination, racial discrimination, how the courts define a hostile work environment, whistleblowing, and everything in between. Workplace Justice is brought to you by the New York City Employment and Civil Rights Law Firm, Nassar Law Group. Here are your hosts, Mahir Nassar, Casey Wolnowski, and Jeffrey Rosenberg. Thank you for listening to the Workplace Justice Podcast. I am joined with Casey Wolnowski and Jeffrey Rosenberg. My name is Meyer Nassar. We are going to be talking a little bit about COVID-19 and workplace issues in this episode. The focus is really to try to talk about returning back to work during this pandemic and all the issues that you as an employee within your workplace have to deal with. A lot of issues uh, right now, obviously, beyond just the fact that you're having to come into this new normal of a of a workplace where there are now safety precautions, there are requirements to wear masks, social distancing. We have all these issues right now. And then on top of that, you know, your life continues. And specifically at this point, you know, if you have young kids, there's a lot of issues in terms of going back to work, who's going to take care of your kids if childcare services and schools are closed. So we're going to be talking to you a little bit about your rights, talking about what options you may have, and what type of uh, ways you should navigate through this with your employer, especially when you're going back to work or if you already started. So I want to ask Jeff about, you know, what his thoughts are in terms of with parents with young kids at this point, returning back to work isn't an easy decision to make. What options do parents have, especially when their employer is requesting them and telling them, listen, we're open now, you guys got to come back? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Unfortunately, right now, while employees had been working from home for an extended period of time, once these stay-at-home orders expired and, and people were able to start returning to the workplace, there really isn't any law currently in place that entitles an employee to continue working from home due to the fact that they would need to care for a child who, let's say, is home from school because their school has a schedule that only requires them to go into school two days a week. The only option legally that that parent has at this point is to take a, a, a leave of absence. Previously, before COVID-19 you know, happened and we learned about it and it started spreading, you weren't able to take off or take a leave of absence to simply care for a child. The child had to have some serious health condition in order to be covered under, whether it be the federal FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act, or a specific New York State family leave. When COVID first started and all of these new laws started being passed and coming into to effect, they expanded the FMLA and added a qualifying factor, a qualifying base to qualify for leave under the FMLA. And what that said is if you work for an employer with under 500 employees and your child is is home from school due to a school closing, you're entitled to, to a certain amount of leave, to 12 weeks of leave. It's actually an extra 10 weeks of leave. It's 10 weeks of leave under the expanded FMLA. However, that's, again, that's a leave of absence. You're only entitled to a certain percentage of your wages. It's not something that can be permanent. It's very finite 
you know, there's a finite number of weeks that you can take. So it's, it's tricky, but unfortunately, other than exercising your rights under that expanded FMLA, there, there really isn't any protection for a parent who is simply unable to go into work as a result of their child being home from school. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the major issues that exists right now. Obviously, a lot of young parents and parents with young kids are having to really deal with this very difficult decision on how they're going to essentially balance the decision between working and taking care of their children. Obviously, the responsibility is the priority in, in terms of taking care of your kids. But, you know, recently I just got a call from someone and this is something that's like a repeated issue. It's always a parent that is being called back to work and they've been working from home for obviously during this pandemic due to the stay of home order. But at this point, like for this individual, for this situation, if they have a kid that has, let's say, a chronic asthmatic issue or underlying condition, what options exist for that particular employee? Casey, what do you think? Well, it, it brings up a good question because really, if you have a family member who has a uh, pre-existing condition or a condition which can be exacerbated or perhaps deadly by virtue of COVID-19, unfortunately, you yourself are not entitled to an accommodation under the law. Now, if say, for example, if you had asthma or you had some kind of addition, condition uh, concerning anxiety, and if you could, in fact, perform the essential functions of your job by working from home, that's something that the employer may have to work with you, right? They may have to consider whether or not that is a reasonable accommodation under the circumstances. But merely having a family member, I don't know if that's going to be sufficient enough to require the employer to allow you to work from home. What we have seen here and there, however, is that if you have a family member or if you are associated with somebody who suffers from COVID or contracts COVID, we have seen some employers who are telling those individuals that they cannot come back to work and that they have dismissed them saying you have to get cured of COVID before we can even allow you to work again, or unfortunately that they've completely and totally discharged them or ended their employment uh, altogether. Now, that is arguably against the law. It's, it's a form of discrimination called associational disability discrimination, which means that if you associate with an individual who has a disability or is perceived to have a disability and you lose your job because of that association, then that is something that could violate the Americans with Disability Act as well as counterpart state and local laws. But uh, to answer your question, Meyer, in and of itself of, of just having a child with pre-existing conditions might not be sufficient for you to uh, be able to continue working from home. That in and of itself might not legally allow you to continue working from home or, or work from home while the uh, office is, is entirely open and, and having people work in that office. Yeah. So, I mean, in this circumstance, yeah, 100%, I completely understand. It's a tough situation. Obviously, there's been a lot of discussion within the legislature about what type of laws can essentially provide more protection for workers, especially given the context of the pandemic, especially with young kids. I think we, just for the ease of the listeners, I think we need to quickly distinguish someone who themselves is disabled and needs a leave of absence or an accommodation so that that employee can perform the essential functions of their job, as opposed to someone who has a family member who is sick or has a child who's home from school or lives with their grandparent who they are worried about, who's high risk, and they're worried about them contracting COVID-19. Those are all very different and distinct from someone who's disabled themselves or who has a pre-existing right. condition themselves. Right. I just wanted to make that point and make it clear that everything that we're talking about 
is with respect to, you know, having a child or having someone who you live with who's positive for COVID-19. None of these things apply if you have COVID-19 and you need an accommodation. And we're going to discuss that yeah, that let's, shortly. Let's but go upon that, right? So let's talk about situations in which an individual themselves have a underlying medical condition that places them in a high risk category. How do they at that point against like, how do they deal with that issue in terms of going back to work if they're being asked to go back to work? What have you seen, uh, Jeff? So the first thing, well, I mean, I, I see this all the time in terms of employees who are nervous, who are hesitant, who are scared due to the uncertainty of what's going to happen when they return. Are people going to be sitting close to them? Or is there going to be proper ventilation? Now, these are all concerns that everyone has, regardless of whether you are have some sort of pre-existing condition, whether you're asthmatic or uh, have diabetes. But again, whether you are disabled under the law is going to determine whether you are entitled to certain rights. Now, if you have any sort of condition that you believe poses a risk, that, that you believe causes you to be more high risk and at a higher risk of contracting the virus, the first thing you need to do is put all of this into writing and send your employer. If, you, if, there's a, if there's a procedure in the handbook, follow the procedure. If it says to, you know, if, if there's a procedure for requesting an accommodation for your disability, follow that procedure. If there's not, email your supervisor, email someone who has supervisory authority over you and explain to them not only what you suffer from, what we see a lot are employees who are hesitant to disclose their disability, thinking that, you know, it's protected by HIPAA and this is private and I don't have to disclose it. The problem becomes when you don't disclose your disability, you're not entitled to any of the benefits that come along with that disability, right? If they don't know of your disability, they can't possibly accommodate it. So you have to be very clear as to what your disability is and then and additionally, as important, is why that disability prevents you from being able to go into the office. And the third thing you have to factor that you have to explain is why you believe that you are nonetheless able to perform all of the essential functions of your job from home. Because what the law says is someone with a disability is entitled to an accommodation, which is some change in your job, whether it's a change in schedule, whether change in location, some change to your, to your job that would enable you to perform the essential functions of your job. So whereas before COVID-19, you might have had no problem performing your job from the office. There were no issues. Your your asthma never played a role, didn't interfere with your job at all. Once COVID arose, leaving your house or going into a building with other people suddenly due to your asthma poses a grave danger to you. And as a result, if you are fully able to perform your job from home and by them allowing you to do it, it doesn't pose any undue burden or hardship to the company, they are legally obligated to allow you to work from home. By arbitrarily telling you, you can't work from home because everyone's coming back. And if you don't come back, it's going to set a precedent is per se unlawful. You're not in the same boat as everyone else. As someone with a disability, you're entitled to an accommodation that people without a disability are not entitled to. I know that was a long answer, but to get back to your original question, 
what to do is to sit down and put together a comprehensive email requesting the accommodation and offering to supply them and to follow up with a doctor's note or medical documentation to support your request. And once you submit that to them, the employer is obligated to engage in what we call the interactive process, meaning that if they can provide that accommodation because they feel that either one, you can't perform the job from home, there are certain things that have to take place in the office, or two, by allowing you to work from home, there's some undue burden, such as they would have to purchase some sort of software and hardware for the computer that can cost thousands upon thousands of dollars. If they have to spend, you know, it's a balancing test, but if they feel that it's too much of an undue burden and that outweighs the benefit to the employee, they can deny the accommodation, but they can't deny it and tell you, you know, it's denied and that's the end of it. They have an obligation to try to work with you and to uh, discover an accommodation that enables you to perform your job and at the same time doesn't pose a risk to you and doesn't pose an undue burden to the company. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly all very informative, especially when you're having to deal with an underlying condition or you have a disability for which you're seeking a reasonable accommodation. During this pandemic, obviously, we've been seeing a lot of different movements and one specifically, which kind of came about from where where the virus apparently originated in terms of China. There was a lot of anti-Asian rhetoric that was occurring within the mainstream. And, and it had a lot of far feature, you know, far reaching consequences for people of Asian descent and background within the workplace. At this point, especially with comments that are being made and things that are being said, how does one, I guess, navigate as someone of Asian background deal within the workplace? How do they navigate that, Casey? What do you think is the best way that they can protect their rights? Well, I think, unfortunately, when you have a global pandemic or when you have a disruption of American life the way that COVID-19 has caused, you will oftentimes have a lot of blame which is going to be distributed. And unfortunately, the way that that blame being distributed has manifested itself is by people being upset with individuals of Asian descent and perhaps more specific of Chinese descent that this is something that was caused by China uh, and I guess ipso facto caused by Chinese people, which of course is just simply not the case and is indeed not the case for those who are Chinese Americans or live in, in the United States. However, if there is a circumstance that is being created whereby people are voicing their displeasure or they are saying and doing things which are disparaging towards people of either Asian descent or perhaps more specifically Chinese descent, that can rise to the level of being a hostile work environment. Now, there's a, a lot of inquiry that goes into whether a court will determine a hostile work environment exists, which we don't have to get into the specifics now. But to answer your question, Meyer, I think it, it runs in the same vein as what Jeff had mentioned previously about speaking to the employer and voicing complaints and stating specifically what is happening and, and how this is impacting you. If there is a policy in your employment handbook, uh, follow that policy, reach out to the powers that be, contact HR and state, this is the way that I'm being treated. These are the things that are being said. These are things that are being done. Perhaps it's done via comments or conduct, maybe emails, maybe text messages, maybe something in writing. But if it is you're being made to feel uncomfortable on account of your national origin or of your race, you know, if it's because you're Asian, then that is something you need to address with the employer and then work with them 
Because most good employers, I at least would hope, are going to want to know what's happening so that way they can take positive, corrective measures in order to investigate and remedy any situation which is making employees uncomfortable in the workplace and indeed being treated disparately or being treated unfairly or being caused to, to suffer hostile work environment is going to be something that employers are going to want to correct. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, you know, it's a great segue into this other issue, which is safety within the workplace. You know, a lot of people now that are back into the workplace are having to deal with a lot of the underlying concerns that people have about the spread of this this virus, right? And New York State and, and obviously a number of states have taken different, you know, created different laws and guidelines, especially with the CDC in terms of how a workplace should be in light of this virus and how to protect people and the public. Within New York, obviously, with respect to workplace safety, the New York labor law has a specific statute that deals with whistleblower retaliation, and especially when there are certain workplace safety issues. So Jeff, I mean, in terms of workers that are going back to work, dealing with a workplace that obviously in close proximity or large proximity, whatever the situation may be, how does an employer protect, I guess, protect the public? in terms of their obligations and what workplace rights does an individual have in terms of making sure that if they see something, they say something. And if they do do that, what is their rights after that? And I guess during that. What I advise most clients is you have to pick and choose what you complain about. Unfortunately, 99.9% of complaints that employees make are not protected against retaliation. It's a big misconception employees have, and they think that if they complain about anything because they know that the employer has a non-retaliation policy, that they're going to be protected from retaliation. And if they complain about their uh, co-workers cursing, that they're going to be protected. It's just not the case. It has to be specifically enumerated in a statute and protected by statute. So fortunately, we, we have a whistleblower statute in New York. It's actually there's two. The one that I'm about to reference is New York Labor Law 740. And what that says is that if you, if an employee complains to their supervisor or to an outside agency about a violation of law that poses a danger to the public health and safety, that individual is protected against retaliation. So there's an incentive to complain if you, if you feel that, you know, they're, they're violating the law with respect to health and safety of the public. Now, in my opinion, there's really only one reason why any of these COVID-19 safety protocols were put into place, and that's to protect the health and safety of the public. As we know, by wearing a mask, by practicing social distancing, you're not only protecting yourself, you're protecting everyone around you. And again, if someone, if the protocol is not being followed within a, an enclosed office and COVID-19 spreads within that enclosed office, it is not only impacting and affecting the employees. It's also affecting all of their families. The, maybe that person takes the subway home. He's now infecting all of the people on the subway. So clearly these laws affect and were put into place to to protect the public health and safety. Now, the laws that we're talking about are mask wearing, social distancing. I'm not sure what if are you aware of are there other protocols others oh, they have to take a survey when all employees enter the office. Um, if you are experiencing any symptoms, you're obligated the, the employer's obligated to send you home. Now, if you're 
observing and witnessing violations to this, meaning that the person who's sitting four feet from you isn't wearing a mask or the person is is sitting four feet from you and is wearing a mask but isn't practicing social distancing, complain about it in writing and specifically allege that you believe that they are violating New York's COVID-19 safety protocols. If you, again, regardless of what you submit to the employer, whether it's a request for an accommodation, whether it's a complaint of, of discrimination like Casey was talking about, or whether it's a complaint of you know an unsafe working environment, make sure that you always retain a copy of those complaints. Because if it's not in writing, the employer is going to deny that it ever took place. But if you do complain about a violation of the safety protocols and you put it in writing and you explain to them why you believe this violates the law, I would argue that you are protected. Now, this is all very new and it, it, you know, it hasn't been fully litigated and there's not much precedent, but I would argue that that is covered under the law and you would be protected against retaliation if you were subsequently terminated or demoted or suspended or, or so forth. Similarly, we have a federal agency, the OSHA, the Office of Safety Health Administration, which is uh, their sole job is to uh, investigate, um, adjudicate and resolve issues of unsafe working conditions. So just like you can complain internally, you can complain to OSHA. And in the same vein, you are protected against retaliation if you complain to OSHA about unsafe working conditions. So those are really the two areas. Yeah, I, I will add to that, Jeff, and, and mention is that, you know, these are changing almost, I don't know, weekly and monthly is that there's going to be revisions, there's going to be amendments. You would hope that as COVID-19 gets better, right, we all hope it gets better, that the safety regulations will become needed less and less to the point where they're they're not needed at all and we can go back to the way things were pre-covid-19 however it's very possible that with flu season coming up that things could get worse and if they do get worse there may be more uh tighter restrictions and there might be uh, more regulations which are implemented now i'd like to think that employers are going to be steadfast and update their their policies in accordance with what the state and local legislature do, but to be somewhat of a cynic, I think some won't because quite frankly, we get phone calls here and there from potential clients and people who tell us that their employers are simply not following protocols. And certainly some of the things they tell us are blatant violations, but uh, it's important that when public health is at risk, that if you believe that there are violations, that this is taken through the appropriate channels in order to hopefully address and remedy. That's the goal. But if it so happens that in so complaining or putting the employer on notice of things that they aren't doing that they need to be done, that you lose your job, based on those facts, it, at least in New York, you may have a, a potential claim for whistleblower retaliation. And if I can just follow up, I just realized I just wanted to clear something up because we were talking, we were referring to a hostile work environment earlier with respect to the race discrimination. And I don't know if everyone knows what that means exactly. So even even if an employer doesn't take any sort of adverse action against an employee, simply harassing them, simply causing them to be offended due to a protected trait of theirs is actionable. And the employer doesn't have to take any action against the employee. The harassment in and of itself is unlawful and, and, and can be the basis of monetary damages. So that's, you know, whether it's race-based or national origin-based, like Casey was referring to, or whether it's disability-based. So we see people who previously were 
tested positive for COVID-19, you know, months ago, beat, fortunately beat it, are completely better, symptom-free, have the antibodies, test positive for the antibodies, which show that they've beat it, return to work, and are then subjected to unrelenting harassment by their coworkers, by supervisors, because there's this fear out there that, oh my God, you had it? Well, you're probably still contagious. I don't want to go near you. You should leave. And people snickering and talking behind their back. And it's very important that if you feel uncomfortable and you're harassed on the job that you document it and complain about it regardless of whether it's for your disability or for your race, your national origin, sexual orientation, or wh whatever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that kind of puts this all together is that in any situation in which you feel that you are not comfortable, if you feel like there is something that is not right, it's really, really important that you make sure that you document the complaint. And you want to make sure that it's, in my preference, an email, because that way you always have that and you can't really lose that. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this. This was an episode dedicated to your returning back to work and some guidance and information about what your rights are within the workplace. The next episode is going to be about pregnancy, so make sure that you tune into that. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on the Workplace Justice Podcast. Love this episode? Leave us a review and tell us what you think about our show. If you haven't subscribed yet, head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss a new episode. Need help? Talk to an employment lawyer today. Visit our website at nisarlaw.com or call 212-600-9534 for your free case evaluation. See you in the next episode.